weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies for driving us through the afternoon. It is Monday, October 23rd, and you're listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, we'll be reviewing a big weekend of sport, as well as bringing you all the latest news headlines. Stephen Kelly is standing by to reflect on all of the Premier League drama, and we'll be checking in with John Kenny ahead of St. Pat's and Sligo Rovers in the League of Ireland. And there was lots of rugby at the weekend too, so Stephen Ferris and Keane Chase will bring us all the major talking points as New Zealand and South Africa book their places in the Rugby World Cup final. As always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552 or post a message to Game on 2 fm on the social media platform X. Game on on 2FM. Doesn't sound right to me, Ruby. It just doesn't sound right. Oh, they look, it'll disappear anyway. This is true. Yeah. X off into the distance. <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. Um, lots to get through this evening. Uh, before we chat to Keen and Stephen about weekend sporting highlights, a couple of news headlines, uh, Ruby, and starting with Gaelic football. Just two months after announcing his retirement from Mayo duty, Kevin McLaughlin is back in the inter-county scene, having joined the Sligo management team. The 8th county boss, Tony McEntee, uh, needed to add to his uh, coaching team after Colin McFadden headed back to Donegal to join up with his brother-in-law, Jim McGuinness, following his return to the hot seat in the Tyrconnell County meanwhile the Tipperary footballers remain without a manager it's understood Peter Keane has withdrawn his name for consideration for the post um, cricket and an efficient display with the ball and a confident run chase handed Ireland women a comfortable win by seven wickets over Scotland today the win means Ireland holds an unassailable 3-1 series lead with one match to play Scotland were bowled out for just 91 runs for an unbeaten 53 from Gabby Lewis helped Ireland to 92 for 3 off 16.3 overs. The two sides are back at the same venue for the last match of the series tomorrow with play starting at 2pm local time. Ireland women's basketball team will not travel to Israel for their FIBA Women's Eurobasket 2025 qualifier on November 9th due to security concerns caused by the ongoing conflict in the region. The decision was made by Basketball Ireland with welfare of players and staff at the forefront in line with the latest advice issued by the Department of Foreign Affairs for Irish citizens which strongly advises against all travel to the region. Basketball Ireland has been in dialogue with FIBA and the Israeli Basketball Association to make alternative arrangements for the fixture. Um, and finally, Ruby, news you might be able to uh, develop for us. Irish 1000 Guineas heroine Tahira has been retired following her third place finish in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes trained by Dermot Weld. She brought the curtain down on her career with a brave third behind Big Rock on British Champions Day. So, um, certainly uh, Tahira has given so many people some beautiful memories. Is is this surprising news, Ruby? Uh, probably not shock horror stuff, Shane, but you're kind of hoping that she would stay in training. Um, she obviously won the Coronation Stakes and the Matron Stakes as well, but look, she's only a three-year-old, and I suppose, being a filly, you were thinking, yeah, maybe they'll keep her in training at four, because in the greater scheme of things, from a breeding point of view, it's the difference of one foal for her. Mm. If, if she was a coal to stallion, it's the difference in covering 120 mares, so there's much more commercial reasons why a colt would head off to stud more so than a filly so I guess you were hoping she might well stay as a four year old there's no doubt horses get better with age and can improve from three to four and again to five so you're hoping you might get to see her again and maybe see her absolute true ability but look that probably is the downside to flat racing there majority of them are retired way too young and uh, the industry seems to rule the sport Okay, that's interesting that's interesting. And is that going to be a trend that continues? That oh, it's one that's continued for years, Shane, and it okay. will continue into the future. The, com- the commercial, like what a, 
even say a horse like Paddington, what he could earn in a racehorse is pittance to what he will earn as a stallion. Um, but unfortunately, oh, okay. if there is no racing, there's no shop window, there's no need to have stallions. So it's kind of catch-22 and you just wish sometimes the industry will give a little bit more to the sport with horses like those. Okay. That's actually a very interesting point, one that I admittedly wasn't wasn't aware no, that's of. So. The, that's the... It's, look, that's what horse racing is it's a huge industry with a shop window that is a sport mm. um, and there's a, the industry behind it is is massive and you know one that's facing uncertainty at the moment as well but um, that's a debate for another night but you'd love some of those better horses just to stay for another year and race for another year absolutely get to see them um, racing for on more occasions um, as I mentioned Keen Tracy and Stephen Kelly are both in studio gentlemen how are you both we will be getting into uh, soccer and, and rugby chats in detail um, but first I suppose it is a Monday so sporting highlights Stephen what was your sporting highlight of the weekend um, I'm going it's to yet give to it come it's yet to it's come yet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can I hold off until tonight <laughs> go back on the table fingers crossed the Stephen yeah. Kelly derby oh no, no it is actually a hard one to watch because obviously we feel out both clubs but I do really want them to go back on top so it's like it's hard but um, I'm going to go for Shea Doze Ogbeni scoring mm. his first Premier League goal um, player who's you know come up to every level um, he's been brilliant for Ireland over the last couple of seasons I think he's been excellent probably a standout performer and just nice to see him with his name and highlights mm. in the Premier League which is fantastic so yeah absolutely absolutely keen uh, tricky tricky one um, you wish you were saying Ireland in the World Cup mm. semi-final Um I know lots, lots has been said about it, the manner of South Africa's win over England, but I did enjoy it. Maybe it was one for the, the purists, but I mean, the courage and whatever else that South Africa showed to stick in the game and win it in the manner that they did, I'm sure we can get stuck into it. But mm. um, yeah, I have to say I enjoyed that. It wasn't the the prettiest uh, spectacle, but it was pretty absorbing nonetheless. One for the purists, of yes. which you are, Ken. <laughs> I wasn't going to self-proclaim myself as a purist, but thank you, Shane. <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. Ruby, Ruby, we've Stephen gone for football, Keane's gone for rugby. Any, any racing highlight or oh, any other? Frankie. 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 Torian Ascot Saturday, uh, winning the Champion Stakes and King of Steel never looked likely, pulls it out of the fire, got lucky in the end, but um, he's right through the race and what was or is supposed to be his last ride in the UK it was a day built around him and he delivered um, he, look he's 52 what a sportsman to be as fit as he is operating at the highest level you just have to tip your cap to him he was I was glad I was there to see it anyway Shane well happy days and it is yourself um, well so I was Friday so you have to move away from that now yeah the Friday well I yeah watched a turgid probably the worst 90 minutes of football I've see, seen all season at Shells during Illala uh, in Derry City so uh, I thought going up there and getting a draw you'd be, that would be your highlight uh, well who knows who knows I'm, tr- I'm still trying to work out you did kind of give the league the pats as well that kind of crossed the city I'm, probably not really suiting you Pat's, Pat's like this evening I think if, if, if Rovers, I mean. Pat's if, yeah well, if Pat's lose all three of their matches that they've left in the season then there's a greater chance to maybe nick Europe but um, who knows Pat's get third Dundalk beat Bowes on Friday Pat's win the cup a lot of ifs and buts but listen at the end of the day I can say that the weekend highlight was that draw. Probably now kind of say, right, Shells won't be near relegation, Ruby, so we're all good. That's all that matters. <laughs> that there was good. sad news in soccer as well, though. There was very sad news um, in soccer, the passing of Bobby Charlton. Uh, and we actually have a clip to play. It's from the Finding a Jack Charlton documentary. And it, it's a really, really nice, beautiful clip of, of Bobby Charlton speaking about his brother Jack and vice versa. Everybody in Ashington would tell you that Bobby Charlton was going to play for England. everything our kid 
playing for the first time with your elder brother in the international side? No, it's just an ordinary thing for me. Same as any other centre half. The two years and eight months between me and our kid. I had to look after him during the day and make sure that he was okay. I didn't like it. I liked the sea. I liked the countryside. And Bobby didn't. He liked to be around my mother. He liked to be at home. I could have done more things without him than I had to do with him. My brother Jack, he was an uncompromising character. I actually watched him in a derby match and he gave a goal away and they lost. I said, you were stupid giving that daft goal away, you know, whatever. And he punched me straight off the back of the couch onto the floor, you know. I don't know if he remembers it, but I remember it all right, yeah. I do a bit of speaking, and mainly what I talk for, but it's all memories, you know. The days I played with England, the time I spent with Eames. Like, the greatest goal Bobby Charlton never scored for England. Come on, tell me. Mexico, 1966, 35-yard flyer. But what you don't remember about that goal was, I give him the ball. really was actually that's a, it's a really nice clip and, and Jack Charlton speaking about one of the greatest footballers ever to play the game and his brother Bobby Charlton and Stephen just, just before we take a, a, a quick break I know none of us would have seen Bobby play <coughs> excuse me in, like in, in his prime but watching the clips back of him and seeing how sweetly he struck a football and it was a different football back then yeah. as well it's it's mad yeah no it is um you watch it and it's just everything just seems to continue to rise it's yeah. like he hits them and then they just get this trajectory and they just keep going um, and to be an attacking midfielder and to score the goals he scored from that position you know people talk about Frank Lampard and what he scored from, but Bobby Charlton did this at a time when you know he's so far advanced in his game um, for club and for country and he's just like I said never never lucky to get to meet him but he's one of those people that everybody I've ever met just said he's an absolute gentleman. Mm-hmm. Just a gentleman in the game. So someone that conducted it on the field was amazing. Well, off the field was just sublime. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a big, big loss to the world of football. And, you know, for English footballers particularly, because to have someone like that, that's, you know, to talk about should be a stand somewhere, probably at Wembley for someone like him, because mm-hmm. he's just one of those once in a lifetime talents. And yeah, and an amazing, an amazing, amazing ambassador for the game that's been lost. I never met him either. Never met him either. But I ran into Old Trafford late one Saturday evening with Barry Garrity. They were playing Spurs in a half-five kickoff. We were coming from Weatherby, and we had kindly gotten tickets from Sir Alex. And we ran into the chairman's box. Kickoff had just taken place, and Bobby Charlton was sitting in the first seat around the corner, and he cut the two of us in half with a look because it was 5.31 and we weren't in our seats <laughs> I never met the man but I was always afraid of him <laughs> <laughs> on that note we're going to take a very very short break and we're going to um, chat plenty of soccer after half six but at first it's rugby with Keane Tracy and Stephen Ferris Game on Rugby Welcome back to Game On, where we're going to turn from soccer and look at rugby and Keen Tracy. Where do you want to start? The New Zealand's route or South Africa's 
guts. <laughs> I think you'll have to go for the more exciting one, Ruby, because the New Zealand-Argentina game, we can get into it, I suppose, in a bit, but it wasn't much of um, a contest, certainly not what you'd expect of a World Cup um, semi-final, just to rub salt in the wounds of any Irish fan who was feeling a bit sorry for themselves because you looked at that Argentina team and thought oh, you could definitely have beaten them. But anyway, if spots and maybes, but... Um, yeah, like I said earlier, Ruby, the the South Africa England game wasn't exactly. I mean, it wasn't a thrilling game until the last ten minutes, but it was absorbing, nonetheless. I mean, played in horrific conditions. I think England were always going to come and play a kick-heavy approach, and you know, South Africa. That's in their DNA as well. That's how they won the World Cup in 2019, and that's how. It played out. I think the the conditions were probably a leveler. You saw how much I think the the previous week took out of South Africa. I mean, they were so far off their best, and I think that that made the gap between England look a lot smaller than than it probably is. I mean, South Africa really went to the well the previous week to beat France in that epic quarter final the day after Ireland's in Paris, and yeah, like they were they were a bit panicky. I mean, they got Manny Libak off after about half an hour. They were going to their bench straight after half time, but. All of the big decisions that Rassi Erasmus and Jacques Nienar were made paid off. Now, they were they were made to sweat until the very end. And I suppose England can feel somewhat vindicated because not no one gave them a hope really going into the game. They got to a World Cup semi-final further than what Ireland got. But I think we can probably read too much into into that as well. I mean, are England going to start as one of the favourites to win the Six Nations next year? I would struggle to, to believe that um, I think their style of play that they've played under Steve Borthwick hasn't been a surprise whatsoever because anyone who watched the Steve Borthwick team that, the Leicester Tigers team that Steve Borthwick coached this is exactly how they played and I think when you're South Africa you can you can get away with it now I know some English fans could argue that they got within touching distance and sure they did but like I said South Africa were so far off their best and I just don't think that England have the sort of the cattle to to play that sort of game going forward because I think they will get found out when the when the pitch it's a level, more level playing field. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I know a lot of people were giving out about the the scrums and things like that, but that's South Africa's strength. They played to it and they they won the game and they're in the, another World Cup final. It's hard to argue against it that they're mm. one of the best two teams in the world. I most certainly enjoyed it. Stephen Ferris, I'm assuming you did as well. A forward slugfest, scrummaging, big tackles, big hits. It was your kind of game, I'd say. Ruby, I'm probably going to disagree. I didn't really oh, yeah. enjoy it, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, uh, like as much as I love big tackles and um, lots of carrying, there wasn't really much of that. It was just kick, chase, kick, chase, kick, chase level on scraps, scrums, line-outs. It wasn't much flow to the game whatsoever. And I suppose the, the first time I sort of like perked up during the game was in 32 or 33 minutes when Manny Labaka dragged off the pitch. And I was like, oh, hold on a second. What's going on here? Um, uh, Andre Pollard come on. And then just in the second half, C.A. Khaleesi, the captain, comes off. I know he's been coming off early quite a bit in the games, a uh, number of the games, especially the high-profile games. Uh, Evan Etzebeth, who was arguably man of the match the week before um, against France, he got dragged off. They kept Mostard on. Um, and what a decision that was. RG Snyman was brilliant when he came on and obviously scored the, the try that got the, the momentum going for them late in the game. So, yeah, that's when I sort of really... Get stuck into it and uh, and was keeping an eye on the game. Once was when there was a, a surprising change made by 
by Razi and Ninabar, but to be honest, like I have friends who were tuning back into Dancing on Ice or Dance with the Stars, whatever it was, rather than watching England play against South Africa. Sorry, you caught me off guard with that. I was trying to work out what's in season. It was probably ice. This whatever, however. Um, I like being educated when I'm talking to experts in their field. So I have a question for you, Keen, and then I have a follow-up for you, Stephen. You mentioned the scrums. So what's, if you could kind of just set out what is the overall issue at the moment and why there is so much talk around it and then I do have a follow up in, in terms of Stephen of obviously he was played at, at international level w- with respect Keane you, you I are was next. really hoping you were going to go to Stephen <laughs> when you said the expert here like the man who's no, been in countless scrolls you, you might be able to kind of set out the, the, the kind of narrative and then Stephen can kind of get into the technicalities of it well like even if you go back to the the Ireland game the previous week against New Zealand the, the big talking point well one of the big talking points out of that was the scrum and how Andrew Porter was like pinged I think it was twice and then Philly Bielan was pinged as well um, and Ireland were deeply unhappy with that because they felt that uh, Porter had been scrummaging legally so I suppose the, the big issue Shane is it's the referee's interpretation I mean every referee sees the scrum differently Stephen can correct me if I'm wrong he's been in, in enough of them um, throughout his career and that is the most difficult thing to sort of get your head around particularly for supporters who are only tuning in like you know to the World Cup new to the game it's very hard to sort of explain you know what is actually going on in the front row because a referee can look at it and see different things so um, what happened on Saturday was the bomb squad came on and Ox and Che came off the bench and caused absolute havoc. What did he win? Four scrum penalties at Loosehead. But England seemed to be unhappy because they felt that he was doing something similar to what Andrew Porter was doing in terms of kicking his hips and uh, scrummaging inwards, which obviously you're not allowed to do. So um, I think that's where the, the issue comes. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the scrums have become ways of winning penalties but like the essence of rugby union is the scrum I mean if you were to take the scrum away you're kind of looking down more like a rugby league sort of game so um, I think we need to be very careful in terms of sort of the narratives that come out after this similar stuff was being said in 2019 if you remember when South Africa won the World Cup not playing the most exciting rugby and there was a lot of people worried that you know everyone was going to start copying South Africa what was that going to mean for the sport? But it didn't really happen. And I think Munster are a really good example of this. They tried to copy this South Africa example with Johan van Graan. They didn't have the players to play that type of game plan. Johan van Graan left, Graham Rountree came in, and under Mike Prendergast, Munster played a more expansive style of play, ended up winning the URC. So while this might work for South Africa, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone else. So... I don't think we've reached like a crisis point in the game where, you know, like what's going to become of the game in the next few years. You, you saw how how much Ireland attacked in the World Cup. OK, it fell short, but fell short to an awesome New Zealand team. The All Blacks could win the World Cup this weekend. They certainly don't play that way either. So um, it's tricky, but Stephen would probably be better judged than me to, to know what goes on in a scrum. That's from, from the outside looking in, I yeah. suppose. Well, no, that's a, that's a good summary. Well, then, Stephen, it, like... What is your take on the the dark arts of scrummaging? Um, Or is this just a tactic that has to be implemented and it is what it is? Yeah, well, let's firstly, Alex Corbizero did a a piece on, obviously played for the British and Irish Lions, was a very dominant scrummager himself, uh, was on the loose head for his whole career. 
Um, very explosive, powerful guy. Uh, and he did a bit of an analysis on the Irish scrummaging um, against New Zealand week before last. And he went through everything. And then before I know it, I'm reading through the thread. And like Mike Ross is disagreeing with him, who obviously played for Ireland, what, 50, 60 times. There was other props like BJ Botha, who was agreeing with him and disagreeing with him. Um, and then just going on down the threads, former players, a lot of former forwards as well, getting in on the act and, and doing exactly the same. So to answer your question, nobody has a bloody notion. And I think that that, that, that is the truth of it. That is the truth of it. And you just go back to the Ireland game against New Zealand and Ireland have eight forwards. New Zealand have seven. And before we pack down for the scrum, the first question that I would ask myself if I was the referee is okay why would ireland want to run around the corner they're not going to want to run around the corner why why on earth like he penalized them for running around the corner why on earth would ireland want to run around the corner new zealand forced them into running around the corner through boring in and driving them across the pitch like so uh, it's almost like you go okay before the scrum actually takes place what are Ireland wanting to get out of this? What are New Zealand wanting to get out of this? And then kind of summarise it once the scrum scrum actually happens. But I think there's so much boring in that it's coming massively back into the game. It sort of was done away with there for a number of years, but it's very much back in the game where tight head, loose head, doesn't matter who it is, are boring in massively. And if you can get in underneath the hooker, driving back but before you know it you're you're on retreat so um to go back to the point i, I honestly don't think that many people know the dark arts of, of of scrummaging um and it's a bit of a lottery sometimes and when you have referees who have, who have never played in the front row it certainly makes their job a lot, a lot more difficult as well so i think all we want is consistency in some shape or form and, and unfortunately i don't think we've seen that over the last couple of weeks Unfortunately, the referee has to keep up with the whole game, so he's probably never likely to have played in the front row unless maybe a hooker of these this generation come into being referees. But Keith or Stephen, what if you went back to the old way of scrummaging in that the ball had to go into the middle and there was actual hooking and props were Yeah, props. well, now the, ball, now the ball sort of goes in slightly at an angle and what most teams try to do now... It... <laughs> it goes to the second row, so the hooker's not hooking. Yeah, Get, get 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 away with it but it's come in now where the front row and obviously the pack want to just actually step over the ball and not actually hook it hook, hook it at all um and yeah again it's it's not ref like once out of every three matches you might hear the referee turn to the scrum half and go I'll oh, make sure this one's put in straight now uh but yeah like Ruby I think we're talking about the scrums too much like you take look at that New Zealand Ireland game it was an amazing game Absolutely amazing game. And there was numerous opportunities where Ireland could have scored to win that game. And then because there was a couple of scrum penalties, well, four, three or four scrum penalties that went against them, all of a sudden that's cost us the game. That's that's not true. It's it's not true. And again, in the English-South Africa game, England have had a couple of opportunities to maybe try and stretch their lead even further. But because the scrum has been talked about um, the last couple of weeks and you have Matt Williams coming out on Virgin talking about how it's ruining the game and like it, it, that just doesn't help like it really doesn't help and Rob Carney and Ian Madigan you know who, who never entered a scrum in their puff uh, and they're sort of 
well, I know Rob sort of agreed with him. Like it's it's, a, it's almost embarrassing. Like so, yeah, that, that's that's why you're asking me these questions is because people are saying that the scrum needs to be taken out of the game or it needs to be addressed by World Rugby. But in actual fact, take out half a dozen scrum penalties over the last number of weeks. The game is in a brilliant place. We've watched scintillating rugby. We've watched a first half of rugby between France and South Africa. There hasn't actually been that many scrums in some of the games, which has been really good to see because referees are letting them let the game go. Then all of a sudden they're getting they're being put under the pump by by everybody for letting the game go because they're missing things. Like the referees can't win. They really can't win. Um, but yeah, I think. South Africa won't go too far away from their scrum this weekend because it is such a dominant force. But if there's one side that's showing that they're, they're capable of dealing with a, a bit of power, it's New Zealand. So that's why I think we're in for a classic. Keen, there's another thread developing, obviously, and, and Stephen just touched on it there, referees letting the game flow, etc. But all of a sudden, there's this huge thread has developed that that team had a hard game the last day, that team had a hard game, there wasn't the same freshness about them. But because the game is running longer and the TMO isn't being used... Could there be a theory that without getting those breeders, it's having a bigger effect on the players? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, being honest, going into the New Zealand game, I was certainly of the opinion that Ireland were better set because they were more battle-hardened. New Zealand hadn't played a proper test, really, since the opening night against France, but obviously I was shown to, to be wrong. And when you're looking at it now, Ruby, like, South Africa looked out on their feet at the end of the game. Their bench really made a big difference. Um so they're going to have to go to the well again. So, I mean, are you saying that, you know, New Zealand, a really comfortable um, win over Argentina? I mean, the fact that they finished the game with 14 men by choice just goes to show how comfortable they are. I mean, they didn't bring Scott Barrett back on after his Sinbin had elapsed. I mean, that's something they did in 2019 in a World Cup warm-up game, just prepare for every eventuality. Yet here they are doing it in a World Cup semi-final. Um so will New Zealand be better set for that? I think you can argue it both ways, but I mean, South Africa's will to win, and I mean, that it's summed it up on, on Sunday night, or Saturday night. I mean, they just seem to find a way to get the job done, and that has to stand for them. Um, New Zealand, I think, are coming at the right time. They're definitely, they've, they've improved so much since Ireland went down there last year. Obviously, they were outstanding to, to beat Ireland, which I think kind of got lost in the wash a little bit, particularly here because we were so focused on Ireland, obviously. But that was an outstanding New Zealand performance. And I agree totally what Stephen's saying there. This could be a proper classic test match. They know each other really well. Like the stakes don't get any higher. And obviously they're both going for that record title as well. So it couldn't be better set up. But um, to back to your original point, Ruby, like I, I think both teams would be happy in the positions that they're in. New Zealand are going in fresh, but New South Africa know that they can go to the well. Certainly will be interesting. Um, gents, I am conscious of the time. Um, <clears throat> if we're not speaking to you beforehand, so I'm going to get your predictions for the final. Stephen Ferris, I'll come back to yourself. New Zealand, South Africa, going to put you on the spot. I'm going to get you to call it for me. I'm going to go for South Africa win, and then hopefully everybody will just realise that Ireland beats South Africa in the group stage. <laughs> <laughs> and, therefore, and therefore she'll still be in the competition. Yeah, yeah. Keen Tracy, are you of a similar mindset? I am. and it, like, it, It's good that the final is going to be contested by that half of the draw because it just, just goes to show again how much stronger it was. Um, yeah, I would fancy South Africa just, but I think it'll be a cracking game. Keen, just on a side note there, something I read earlier, I thought it was a very interesting point. So... 
we're all complaining about the draw, but the oldest saying in the world is the look of the draw. We've had six matches, four quarters, two semis, one dud. Next weekend, the bronze medal match, does it ever match? Does it ever matter? And we're going to have a classic final. So have World Rugby really got it that wrong or do we just think they got it that wrong? Um, well, I think if you were, I was speaking to a few people who were at both matches uh, over the weekend, Ruby, and certainly the atmospheres um, were nothing like they, they have been throughout the tournament, definitely nothing like they were for the quarterfinals. The two that I was at in Paris, I think the other two quarterfinals that were on in Marseille, okay, yeah, they were exciting, but the quality of rugby was nowhere near what we saw between Ireland, New Zealand and South Africa, France. Um, obviously, yeah, you had the one dead rubber, fair enough, but the fact that World Rugby are going changing this, I think they're actually meeting this week to decide when the draw for 2027, if you can even think that far ahead yet, um, when it would be made. But the fact they're going to change it because they're not going to make it so soon after the World Cup, which is what they did in 2019, shows that they're not really happy with, with it either. Um so yeah, I can I can see I can see what you mean, Ruby, but I, I still it's still hard to get away from the sense that the games that we saw, the two quarterfinals felt like semi-finals really, didn't they? Um, mm. I mean, it's an old consolation out to Ireland and that's not sour grapes whatsoever, but the standard of rugby that we saw uh, was definitely better than the two semi-finals, I think, that we saw, even though the South Africa game was exciting. Absolutely. Gents, before we finish our rugby conversation, Stephen, I can't let you go without mentioning Ulster getting the better of Zebra in a 12-try thriller. The URC is back. A great start <laughs> for Ulster. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh my goodness, it was shaky. I tell you that. Um, <laughs> Who needs the World Cup? Really yeah. <laughs> yeah, both sides when they had the ball were just making ground frees, and um, yeah, it, it was um, it was one that Ulster will be glad they have hopped back in the plane with the five points because it um, right at the death uh, there was a yellow card for for one of the Ulster players, and um, I thought they were going to go to their line out at Zebra, and they didn't. So yeah, they're uh, they're still awaiting a win, Zebra, and Ulster continue to march on. But um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's. I think it's going to be a tough enough old season for a lot of teams. Uh, even look at the Scarlets getting absolutely hammered by the Bulls. Uh, Leinster going away to Glasgow and getting beaten. Munster, you know, got the job done but conceded a few points as did as did Connacht. So it's going to be a very competitive league but hopefully Ulster can keep it going. With a bit of luck they will. They think it was strange that three Irish provinces won and Leinster weren't part of it which is not a very not a very common thing. How is it ever? URC will be back next weekend as will the World Cup final. Stephen and Keane, thanks a million for taking our call. We're going to take a quick break. Game on. Football. Now, you're very welcome back to Game On as we chat football in the company of Stephen Kelly. Um, before we reflect on a big weekend of the Premier League, I suppose we mentioned at the top of the show the Stephen Kelly derby, Spurs Fulham. Uh, there's no reason why Spurs shouldn't win, is there? No, um, no, not really. I think, you know, providing them trying to wait for team news to come out, yeah. some went. Someone looked like he might have been carrying something. Um, Romero went off a half time for Argentina. Um, even still, even still, yeah, I'd still, I'd still fancy. I want to say us, but on both of us, so it's weird. <laughs> uh, it's really weird. It's like um, talking to yourself. Yeah, talking to myself, yeah. Um, I'd still fancy Tottenham at home to do it. Um, and with the carrot of going back top of the table by clear two points, it is the incentive is massive. So it's huge. Um, big, big game um, at what I still call the lane. Delay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. no, I'll live with that. Yeah, yeah. live with that. <laughs> How impressed, Stephen, have you been with Son taking over from Harry Kane? He seems to be excelling almost. Yeah, he is. Um, and to be honest, often you'd see Son, and it was a Son Kane double act. So he was getting mm-hmm. on the back of all Kane's passes, like the, the you know, 
their combination play and the way they score goals they've, they've set each other more than you're on the duo in the history of Premier League I think so for him to go you're, he's a massive source but James Madison has come into that and honestly Madison has been sensational for them and Son going down the middle just it's changed slightly from what he needs he's a sensational finisher clinical with both feet and him to be operating that central role is exactly what they needed because Richarlison just wasn't doing it and then Postacoglu just had that little tweak he brought Son in he plays often there for South Korea um, and he brought him into that position probably three games into the season and it's just been it's phenomenal I like, I like to think when they get Brendan Johnson back and he can go on to one of the wings it'll be, it'll be electric in the, for, in the front three for them Absolutely but well, we can actually hear uh, and speaking about Son Sonny is who he is and he's got to where he is because of the person he is and I'm certainly not going to change any part of that mate because you you, you take all these things um, in context you know sometimes we want to change people but we don't understand that the thing that's brought them to where they are is because of the people they are you know so I'm not changing anything in, in Sonny he's uh, you know if anything you, you can learn from people like that um, you know that's kind of the beauty of me being in sort of the position I am, you know, you come across different people every time you, you kind of go along this journey and you learn from all of them. And, um, you know, the way he takes on the responsibility of not just his whole nation, but, and he takes it very seriously, I think it's commendable. It's not beyond commendable. I think it's, it's, it's great where, you know, we've seen, you know, we've had evidence of, of players who, who kind of go the other way or, you know, with, with, with sort of fame and fortune kind of lose their way a little bit, but not, you know, he's still very, very grounded and he knows what's important to him and that is, you know, his country, his football club, you know, his career and, uh, you know, in terms of his physical well-being, he's well looked after here, he knows his body well and, uh, you know, he'll, um, he'll continue to sort of perform at the highest level. So... Tottenham do have the opportunity as you mentioned Stephen to go top of the table Man City won at the weekend as did Liverpool Arsenal however only drew 2-2 with Chelsea is that two points dropped or were they lucky to get the draw or how did you see that unfold in your opinion and they were looking to get back into it um, goalkeeping mistakes um, coming back the way they did later on shows great character and resilience and it's a different Arsenal that we're seeing isn't it they 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 seem to not give up and they've got a lot more about them than they have done in the past um, even though we know they threw the title away last year as well but you do feel you have like to get that in I have, yeah, to, yeah. I have to I have to get a dig in somewhere <laughs> don't be Ruby <laughs> Ruby's yeah, jumping yeah. in yeah. <laughs> that playing out from the back crack with the keepers is working oh, right, isn't it yeah. oh, it's working, working I know just just get up there long ball um, no but listen that this was going to happen it's it, it's risk and reward stuff with all these coaches are doing and sometimes the risk is not worth the reward because it ends up in the back of your own net um, and keepers just come be a little bit too complacent with it great finish from Rice to, to put them back in there really was he the whole goal Stephen yeah the I know but still they hit the first time it's the first time ever and fair, the pace there's not loads of pace on it but he does he, he steps onto well whips in the far corner and to be honest I think he intensely puts it into the corner instead of hitting it towards the main goal but it was, it was a decent effort um, but yeah ha, good results for Arsenal getting back into but overall not because they would have fancied taking that scalp because Chelsea are hit and miss aren't they mm, very much so very much so yeah. what about then up at the Merseyside Derby Liverpool and Everton 2-0 penalty handballs Ashley Young sent off Liverpool could have had somebody sent off it was this, I don't know, was it a, I'm not sure it was entertaining. It was tough, was it? Yeah, it was tough. I, I, did you, 
anybody expect anything else than a Liverpool win in that game? I, I don't think so. Um, the way it came about, maybe people didn't see that coming. Um, penalties, you would expect Liverpool to come out a little bit more clear-cut winners in it, just I think with the front three. We've spoke on here before, Ruby, how... how dynamic they are um, Salah on fire as well so um, expected win for Liverpool but everything they put up a fight um, Jung getting sent off you know play of his experience going in like that Was he unlucky? He catches no. him doesn't he? I don't think he no. was Yeah, I don't think he no. was unlucky given, no, the, given the timing of, of everything that happened I mean he put his hand around yeah. his neck and pulled him back yeah. what's unlucky about I that? Yeah, I, don't, I don't think it is I think like I said I've now actually I've played with him and we played together at Watford when we were kids I've known a long time and he's a player that's been around for ages hundreds of games mm. he knows better you know and that, that's what it comes down to How much do you feel perhaps even subconsciously the fallout surrounding the previous VAR situation with Liverpool you know led to Jurgen Klopp wanting a replay everything else <laughs> how much do you think that might have been in the back of Craig Parsons' mind refereeing that match because there was a lot of talk around the referee um, There would have been a lot of it because you know First of all, that was nonsense, wasn't it? Replaying it, it's just, just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it happens. Sound bites. It's yeah, sound bites it is. It is. And for Klopp, again, someone else should know better mm. than, than inciting that rage towards an official, and um, which has not been the first time Klopp has done that. Um, but yeah, no, I think there was a lot of a lot of pressure on that referee to get decisions and get them right and not be culpable for a massive mistake again because they didn't want the wrath of the Premier League or the the clubs coming down on top of them so it was important but there was a lot going on in the background there and I'm sure he must have been so nervous and the VAR must have been so nervous mm. with everything going on because that's going to blur lines and obviously I'm alluding to the Canate mm. you know second yellow or lack of yeah. <laughs> second yellow like that's blurring the lines for referees and it's unfair on them it is unfair because you're putting them in a, in a hard predicament and this is like listen VAR is brought in for, for the right reasons um, and but it's still people at the end of the day making decisions and if they're in any way feeling that there's an external pressure on them that's going to make them their decision not be just by what they feel is right or by what they see is right then it's hard to call whereas you know sometimes I just think the ref seen and calling that on the pitch as it happens at 100 mile an hour is almost better and if he gets it wrong he's got it wrong because he's just missed it for a second not because he's analysed it 50 times over Yeah but then you look at say Newcastle's first goal with Jacob Murphy was onside they gave it offside on the pitch they have a look on VAR and it's given as a goal yeah I, that's surely why VAR is there that's exactly why it's brought in this is the thing you're brought in for those clear cut errors um, and mistakes like that that could happen and prevent the goal that, that he was clearly onside um, and then, but there's also a thing isn't there where refs not putting that flag up or not want to do it because yeah. they're waiting for it and stuff and all so there's a lot going on in the background but no listen I think it's it's there for the enhancement of the game and I should really enhance it it's just there's, there's too much going on that are interfering with people's decisions and mind making up and I said Klopp you know it makes yeah. it, it make the situation worse I, I think it's going to diminish the quality of refereeing yeah. because you're going to have that then as a, a safety net or, or were City lucky? yes ish yeah they were lucky yeah um, Brighton I mean, it was, it was, I think it was always going to be a tough game for CE after, on the back of the, before the international break they needed to get points on the board so yeah I think they were lucky to come away with the win Brighton put it up to them and the chances there's a couple of chances they had there where they really should have put put them to bed um, and they didn't which was unlike Brighton the way they've been playing um, but CE they just yeah they, they got there in the end but it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't vintage City was it? No 
and it, it hasn't been a lot. And I suppose this leads into we're always having this conversation. I think even in Pep kind of alluded to it that perhaps the treble is going to take its toll for for the the duration of the season trying to get back up to those levels yeah there's, there's, there does seem to be a bit of a hangover from it but then the worrying part is that City are still in the hunt and if they do hit full pelt <laughs> what will that look like yeah. and how much of carnage was that causing the season like you just think get yeah, Kevin De Bruyne back at some point and he, he's a game changer he cha- he completely changes how they play hopefully if he comes back to the same level hopefully he doesn't <laughs> for Tottenham's sake and for Ruby's sake um, when you put, it's just one of those things that they, they've got an absolute abundance of talent that when it when they do click and they do for it and that will happen at some point Yeah, that it will, it will be to the detriment of the rest of the teams mm. What about United then? They got the 2-1 win against Sheffield United but were they lucky? Well, no, sure there was a shot from outside the box they couldn't even get through them could they Stephen? No it was a lot of shots from outside the box fair decent shots from outside the box Fernandez hits the bar that, but still when you're shooting from outside the box yeah. you're going to have to get lucky and and, and <laughs> it's just you know even even the last goal, Dallow, people are talking to won the goal, and I, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't won the goal, but I felt I felt he could have got to it. And again, another goalkeeper, he was at Fulham with me, I know him, great goalkeeper. He'd be disappointed he didn't get to that because he goes with two hands, and I just think he's not stretching enough on the field. Oh, that's one that he'd be disappointed with, considering some of the saves he's made so far. And you know, if they had come away with a draw, that would have been an unbelievable run for Sheffield United, and a, and a terrible one for for Man U. But yeah, shots made outside the box lack of penetration in behind them and creativity and stuff like that so and then McTominay's just <laughs> I was seeing the match winner for United all of a sudden yeah. when he was being out you know, he turned like I said at the moment for him for himself playing for Scotland and, and Man U he seems to be the go-to guy Is that kind of sums up United at the moment then surely sorry to cut across you Ruby that no, McTominay's the go-to like, guy Sheffield United have a point they've lost eight games mm. and United couldn't play the ball through them yeah. they, they're so static anytime so. I see Manchester United and I've, I've no skin in the game but like they're yeah. so so static no they are it is. there's a lack of movement a lack of creativity um, you just feel that there's too many players that just aren't that and this is we had this conversation for so long last year we've had it again now um, and there just seems to be so much happening off the field in the change room with players disagreements with managers you know maybe that's spilling onto the pitch as well but you know it's about these players being motivated and playing to the levels that they need to be at you know, and they need to be at the top levels to win this game, and that that was that was wasn't a great performance. But it's a win; it's three points on the board. Like there is a look to be a little bit of a gulf in the Premier League with some of the teams at the bottom, and Forest will be wondering how they didn't get three points against Luton. Yeah, absolutely, L- Luton. And um, you know, Forest last year they were the strugglers, and I, I, to be honest, I would have absolutely said they were nailed on to go down, but they did well in the end, coming back. Massive changes in squads, but this season. Um, Luton they're the ones that you really feel you know at points you kind of thought will they get will they will it be Derby will it be that Derby all over again that, that horrendous record that you know they're going to be looking at and you know somehow they pull points together and you know I watched it against Tottenham a few weeks ago um, and they caused Tottenham a couple of problems Tottenham got there in the end but they caused some problems Forest this is a game they eight earmark you go through those mini leagues where you feel like these are the teams you have to beat if you want to stay out of relegation zone you want to give your sons a chance survival and they drew it and it's a game that they'd be absolutely good if they didn't go and win but listen delight for Ogbené getting that goal mm. absolutely delight for him like the smile on his face um, he's a player that we're going to rely on heavily and it's nice to see him in confidence in getting goals in the Premier League it was but if you're looking at teams that would be looking at games that's got, they're going to keep them up like Burnley surely would have looked at Brentford and thought we have to get something yet they were dismal awful awful really really poor and Brentford are a team that I think still surprising people even with the lack of 
Ivan Tony, it's it's just their side that still seems to be getting results, and they're kind of going on the radar a little bit, aren't they? Depend with this with the the wins they've picked up so far in the season, um, and Bumo was being excellent for them from the get go. Um, he was last season was a player that was heavily reliable on like creating opportunities, but not actually creating goals and not putting them in the back of the net. But this season, he he's he's taken that mantle on. He's scoring goals from him. He's assisting, and um, he's been huge. And Brentford another side that that I think will be steady because the the, the teams that have come up just seem to be a gulf between them, doesn't it? It really does. Mm, absolutely. Can I ask a question about fifth placed Aston Villa because they were in the doldrums when Stephen Gerrard was managing them. How good of a manager is Unai Emery? He seems like a fantastic manager. He really does. Um, what he did in Spain, um, get got ridiculed at Arsenal and he was the first one to take over from Wenger, I think. So that was... Always going to be a tough it's gig. It's a poison chalice. Yeah. Like, it's like, like still, they still haven't got right Man United since Ferguson's left. You know what I mean? Mm. So when you take over after an icon of the game, an icon of the club, it's never going to be easy. Um and especially the way Emery wants his teams to play, it was a change in everything. Um, but the way he has this Villa team playing, the, the pace they play with in the forward areas, defensively looks solid. Ollie Watkins is a, a man possessed at the moment. Like what a wonderful goal that was! Step over and then bang, left foot in the top corner. So, um, but they have got they have got an abundance of talent in those forward areas with players that it's the energy possessed and his his style of football is very much about players that get around the pitch get around the pitch quickly move the ball quickly and they're all doing it at a really high standard so yeah that was 11 games unbeaten at Villa Park which is you know unthinkable where where they were at they were in the championship about three to four seasons ago yeah, no, it is a remarkable rise. A remarkable oh, rise. That's a win in six, two losses, one draw. And the other team that are so impressive to watch are Newcastle. Four yeah. goals at the weekend. And Jacob Murphy down the right the whole time. He was creating some problems. Yeah, he, he's a very good player. Um, someone came up against a few times, just direct, wants to go at people, energetic, quick. Um, and you... You know, Newcastle again didn't start this season that great, and you're kind of like, oh, is is it a fall off? Is it you know Champions League second season syndrome? Is that going to happen for them? And it wasn't. It it just took something to kickstart them, and there was a couple of Champions League games that got them going, and now they're full fledged flying um, goals from everywhere. Defensively, they look look really good again. Trippier, I think is I think he's a wonderful captain to have on that side, and Jacob Murphy, long staff. Um, creativity, scoring goals. You know, I was Amron last year, but these boys are, are, are pulling up trees. And you know, even with the off-field stuff at Tonali, um, they still haven't let anything distract them from their on-field performances. Stephen, Premier League is thirty-eight games. Everyone, well, after tonight, everybody will have played nine. Is it become a four-horse race? City, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, and three, four to go down. Um. Yeah, probably has to be honest. It probably has. Um, you're kind of thinking who will, who will who will break that for? Who can get in there? Um, I think Chelsea will still have something to say on it as it goes on. Um, really? That's yeah. Some now. I know. I know. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not talking about every winning Monday it. from now until yeah. next May. I know. I'm not talking about winning it. And I'm not doing a callie callie thing was when the Lukaku signed these Chelsea were winning. Win <laughs> I'm always going to bring that back. But no. Um, it was. I just feel that they will get it right at some point, and I think they'd be a very decent side, um, injuries permitting and stuff. But I, I do think I, I do fancy them to get in. And I know I spoke about Mudrick on this panel before, and yeah, it was it was a fluky goal the weekend. You know, there's no way he meant that, but I still think that they're they're a team that that might that might change the dynamics of other teams based on yeah. Well, I think they they need a 
success in in the medical room yeah. before anything else. That's yeah. the big thing. If they get yeah, perhaps now the the more I think about it, the twenty seconds of let it just sink in. If they get the players back. I'm not. I'm not saying they're going to yeah. have it on the toil. I'm just saying they might have a say in the top four and how it finishes. Um, and then yeah, the bottom three, like it's very hard to look past the lads that came up. Really, not not being in and around that. So how do Bournemouth find some bit of form to get themselves out of the mess they're in? <laughs> bring back, <laughs> bring back the manager that they sacked. <laughs> Gary, Gary O'Neill, justice for that's, Gary O'Neill. That's, that's what that is. Uh, you know, sometimes clubs have something in their head where they want to go in this direction that they feel that the club is on the up and that they need to, to make a change and there was no need to make a change there what he did last season with them was was phenomenal because they were a team that you, again like the Forest you would have felt just didn't have enough to stay in the league and, and this season they're coming up short in so many games Um I just don't see where they're going to be able to pull out a, a string of results in games so yeah they're, they're going to be definitely in that mix as well Okay, <coughs> well, thank you very much, Stephen Kelly. Well, yeah. prediction for tonight. Go on, stick your neck out. Yeah, give us a score. score, score. Give yeah. us a score. Three one Tottenham. Three one Tottenham. Three one Tottenham. Three one Tottenham. Ruby, Ruby, give us a score prediction. Well, the stats would probably say it'd be a lower scoring game than that. Fulham yeah. have kept plenty of keen sheets. Uh, Spurs have only scored one against them a lot of times lately. I'd say Spurs maybe one two nil max. Yeah. There's Four two, Chalky. Tell oh, us yeah, what the score is going to be. No, nah, listen, you'd be probably right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <clears throat> excuse me, Stephen Kelly. Thank you very much for popping in. Cheers. I hope you enjoy the uh, Spurs. I know you said you can't really enjoy it, but I'll yeah, we hope you somewhat. Yeah, be, somewhat, be okay. Somewhat. Yeah. Um, okay, Sinead, Ruby. That is all we do have time for. However, um, just before we do go, we would just like to apologise if any offence was taken by other rugby analysts during our review of the World Cup uh, weekend earlier on in the show. But that is all we have time for we're back here in game on tomorrow from 6 building up to a big Champions League night better the silver is up next after the news stay tuned to 2FM